all the taxes that we pay, and you put it all together, and if you had to write one check, even monthly, you had to write one check monthly for that amount, you, we would be rioting in the streets. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I am your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we'll be covering four stories Uh the JCPS busing kids to the SB 150 protest. The Kentucky Lantern uh, uh, apparently through a FOIA request got a hold of some emails. We'll cover that. Uh, a a campaign is being launched by a group of individuals that are attempting to create new ways for your local government to tax you. And they're starting off with a petition push, what to look out for, the language for you to look out for, and why this is a, a not a great uh, uh, thing for Kentucky, what they're specifically pushing for. Uh, Cameron sues Annie Bashir's, uh well, not exactly Andy Bashir's campaign. It's from the Democrat uh, uh, Governors Association over some ads that they're running and and is is or doesn't sue. Sorry, is asked the stations to take them down. And then finally, uh, how I upset the left over this last week. We will cover that uh, and so so much more today. Before we dig into it, uh, if you guys could, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Twitter, please follow the page. Uh, Facebook, please like, share, make sure you're following the page as well. Um, and as always, this is available in an audio-only format on Spotify and Apple and all other major podcasting platforms. We do this right now weekly. Next week will be my last weekly show, and then we should be going into the daily shows back again. Uh, we should hopefully next week be in the studio uh, the the new studio there. We got some internet put in there today and some other things um, as well as getting to launch here soon uh, the other major project we have been working on. I do want to clean up something from last week. Uh, some people noticed last week that uh, on the gun rack behind me, the black uh, uh, shotgun, uh, that's a Stugger M 3500, was missing. Um, it was because it was dirty and I went out uh, Sporting clays uh, shooting, and it was dirty, and I had to clean it before I put it back on the rack. Um, for those of you who are wondering, yes, I did beat down into the dirt everybody who was there, uh, including my father. Um, you know, sometimes the the son just becomes that much better of a shooter than his father, and uh, you know, it's a learning process. Should bring pride, but I think I think it hurt his pride more than anything. Uh, but <laughs> going into today's show, though. Uh, JCPS, Bussing Kids Kentucky Lantern here. So for those of you who are unaware, back during the session, the SB 150 veto override vote, uh, uh, kids, hundreds of kids came from the Jefferson County public schools and were bussed in by those schools showing up on public school buses. And quite frankly, uh, that asked a lot of questions. One, they, of course, would never bus in kids uh, to fight something conservative. They would never bus in kids to stand up against, uh, if somebody was was pushing uh, an abortion bill, they would never bring in kids for pro-life causes, pro-2A causes, probably not even bring them in for First Amendment causes. No, of course, the only thing they could bring them in for was to fight against a bill to stop uh, uh, mentally ill transgender youth from... Uh, um, 
doing irreparable harm to them in the future. Uh, and also at the same time, making sure that these schools cannot continue to indoctrinate young children into these crazy, far left, crazy ideas of what they think the future should be like. And, um, and the Kentucky Lantern turned around. So, so JCPS buses in these kids and JCPS tried to claim, look, this is student led everything else. And then the Kentucky Lantern did a FOIA request. And what they found out uh, in their emails was that obviously a lot of teachers were involved in the planning. Uh, and, and, and it's not that shocking to me. Of course they had to be. Uh, it's not like kids get to pull a bus and not to mention a bus. There was, 10, 20 buses or so. There's a lot of buses. Uh, they don't get to pull out a bus on their own. Maybe not 10 or 20 buses. There's at least five or six. They don't get to go down to the bus garage and be like, hey there, Tommy, jump on up in that bus and drive on over to the school. We're going to a protest. That isn't how it works. Of course, the school has to be involved. And of course, your tax dollars had to have paid for that protest because how'd they pay for the fuel? On top of that, they uh, the teachers uh, were involved, according to the emails. It does look like they're involved in recruiting kids. They act like they weren't involved in recruiting kids, but um, they were actively involved in answering parental questions about it. They're actively involved in issuing permission forms. They were actively involved in procuring the buses, and they were actively involved in making sure that they got sack lunches for the day. Which, And, and as I said, this shouldn't be a great grand shocker to anybody listening. Kids weren't going to get sack lunches from the cafeteria on their own. They weren't going to be allowed to leave school without, of course, the, the schools being okay with it. We know this. This isn't, this shouldn't be shocking. But yet, they tried to gaslight us, tried to tell us not the case. And what did we discover? Well, uh, uh, not so much. And of course, that's what those emails backed up. Your tax dollars, my tax dollars going into that situation. Um, you Decide campaign. The You Decide campaign is looking for ways to tax. So for those of you who are uh, unaware, the You Decide campaign um, is, is starting to pop up on Facebook. And so I actually sat down with the group behind this campaign when I was running for state treasurer. Now what they're fighting for is local option sales tax. And that's what they want to have. They want to have a local option sales tax. Now I'll tell you this right off the bat. I am for getting rid of income tax of any kind and then putting in place a sales tax if that's what we need to do. Because there is a very real problem our counties are having. Um, quite frankly, a lot of our counties, especially rural counties, are not able to capture revenues. They have to provide our basic services, um, such as police and fire and roads and water and all these things, but they don't have the revenues coming in to be able to afford to pay for that because right now, counties, cities, uh, uh, but counties here, they can only charge uh, occupational tax, which is a income tax, occupational tax. Um, they can charge a tax on insurance. They can charge property tax. Um, they can charge, uh, you know, a few other taxes here or there, but their main source of 
revenue for most of these counties is this occupational tax. And that's why this push for jobs in certain areas becomes such a big deal is because cities, counties, and cities cannot, literally, they can't survive because they don't have the employers. Because these bedroom communities, if you take a county, like I said, like uh, last week I talked about this, county like Garrett, where there's not a whole lot of employers in that county. People live in that county, but they work in other counties, but they can't capture revenue through just occupational tax, but you give them the ability to capture revenue through a sales tax and that can fix their situation. But I'm not an advocate for adding more ways that our government can tax us. We're already taxed too much. If I could wave a magic wand, what that would do by putting in place that tax, we would see the state then lower their own sales tax, which they could afford to do if they decided they're going to stop redistributing the wealth amongst counties. Because right now, this is what they have to do. You are, uh, they have to dis- redistribute wealth amongst counties by taking it in from citizens through sales tax, through, through the myriad of other taxes that our, our, our state puts upon us. And then they hand it back out to these counties that are not currently surviving. Uh, they're not currently surviving on their own, and and they do that in order to um, ensure uh, that these counties stay uh, solvent. But at the end of the day, if we're able to change the way we're taxing, where the redistribution of wealth doesn't need to occur, we're saving the 20% on the money that's being handed out because that's about the administrative fees. Well, at the same time, the state could lower its sales tax and allow that to happen. Would the, sales, would the state do that? I'd Look, that's up to you to hit up your, your legislators and make sure they did that. But I tell you this much right now, the first step to getting there would be uh, uh, taking a local option sales tax, allowing that, but getting rid of local income tax, that occupational tax. That is something I'd be for. But in order to do that, we do have to make a change. So here's the problem. We recognize, I recognize that these counties and cities have an issue with revenues. They do. These rural ones especially, they do. And, and a large part of that, once again, is because they provide most of your daily services while pulling in not most of your tax revenue. So how do we fix that? And the way we can fix that is by giving them the ability to pull in the revenues they need to bring in without uh, the state stepping in. However, the only way, that's a real problem that we actually have, that actually has to be addressed here in Kentucky. However, the only way I'm okay with putting forward a local type option sales tax is if we get rid of the income tax and the foul swoop. Now, in order to do this, we have to change our state constitution. Our state constitution outlines the way that our counties are able to tax. And for this reason, we have to have a constitutional amendment change. That means we have to both have legislators vote to pass the bill to create the constitutional amendment, while at the same time, citizens have to be convinced to vote yes for this. And how are they going to do that? How is this group going to do that? Well, what this group is trying to do, and it's the same thing, that we see time and time again that both conservatives and Democrats, but right now it's mainly conservatives, do all the time. They take an issue that people like you and me would probably agree on. Things like, you know, these electric vehicles aren't paying anything for the roads. The roads are taken care of through a gas tax. Electric vehicles aren't buying a gas tax. So, you know, maybe the electric vehicle should be charged a yearly road fee to help pay for the roads because that upkeep, uh, they're not contributing to that upkeep and it's relying upon us who drive gas vehicles. That's not fair. Okay, and you take that there and you take that primal urge of an individual to want to make sure taxing is fair, whatever that means. I mean, what's a fair amount of somebody else's stuff? But to make sure that the consumption taxing is fair. 
And they take that urge and then they add more to it. And we see this with the gas tax bill. They, they look at the road fund. They say it needs help. They take something we agree with. Well, let's charge these EVs a, a tax because they're not paying that gas tax that goes into the road fund. But then they try to increase then the gas tax. So they take something we do agree with and then try to increase the gas tax. So that way, when you challenge them, that way, when the legislators got to sell this to the citizens and they got to defend why they raised your taxes, they can say, well, you don't want the EVs. They're not paying their fair share. That's not fair, is it? And you'd be like, no, it's not fair. And like, that's why I voted for it. And then you shake your head because they believe you're an idiot who isn't going to think critically for five seconds. So don't be an idiot. Think critically. Okay. Answer yourself this one or two questions here. Do you believe every penny the government is spending is being properly spent? No. Before we even talk about raising another tax, even if it's a tax, I just, I, I generally agree with like EVs need to pay their fair share. Maybe we should be at first saying, look, does the government even need more money at this point? Are they taking care of they have? Are they being good stewards with the money they're being provided? If the answer is no, they're not, then we don't need to give them another bloody penny. I don't care who it's from. I don't care whatever fair pitch you want to make. Before we bless you with more dollars, learn, to, learn how to manage the money you got. That's biblical. But putting that to the side, let's pretend they do. And you say, okay, yeah, I see that point. Let's put in place that EV tax in order to make sure that they're paying into the road fund too. But they can't give us that clean bill. And so I said, I sat down with this local option sales tax group the same group that's running these petitions right now on Facebook, trying to collect up your information so they can pump you full of, of jealousy and yeah, okay. And what the ad they're running, they're running ads like uh, um, keep your dollars local, keep Grant County money in Grant County. This is, this is one that Representative Savannah Maddox posted that she had seen right here. Keep Grant County money local. And they're, they're uh, once again, applying this, this primal urge to say, look, if anybody's going to get my tax dollars, I want my county and city to get it. They're, they're prying on that urge without, they have no plan to propose a constitutional amendment that takes away occupational tax. And I know this because I asked them. I said, if you put forward a, a, a constitutional amendment that takes away occupational tax, makes it permanently in the state constitution that no entity, county, city, or state can charge an income tax and instead you replace it with the sales tax, I will be right behind you on supporting that. You will have my full support on getting that bill passed. Because at the end of the day, one, I find income tax to be immoral of all kinds. Two, we're moving towards a no income tax, but we're expanding the way out. We're taxing right now at the state level. And at the same time, at the local level, if you're going to add in a sales tax, we want to make sure we're removing ways to tax too. We don't want, you know, Republicans won't always be in control of the state legislature. We don't want one day Democrats, when they get control, to now have all these ways to tax you. So if we can take this opportunity to make it a permanent thing, to get rid of income tax of all kinds, because it's immoral and it's wrong and to make sure it can never come back then let's do that with this constitutional amendment that allows a local option sales tax at the same time but getting rid of income tax across the board but what they said to me was they weren't interested in that they told me sitting down having coffee with them they told me what they were looking for was they want local cities and counties to have a menu of options of how to raise revenue let me ask you this. Do you, the citizen, want your government to have a menu of options of ways to tax you? Of course not. Because right now, 
If you had to write one check once a year, or even four checks, even a monthly check, one check though to the government for all the money you pay in taxes, all the it, put it all together, the sales tax, the 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 licensing taxes, the the uh, insurance tax, the alarm panel tax, the grease trap tax, the the tire tax. There's a special tax on tires. The hotel tax. The the uh, of course the income tax. Capital gains. So on and so forth. If you have that in your state. But, you know, if, if take all the taxes that we pay and you put it all together, and if you had to write one check, even monthly, you had to write one check monthly for that amount, you, we would be rioting in the streets. But they know that. They know if we actually understood the amount that we are paying them in taxes, we would remove them from office. I mean, our founders, keep in mind, through a fit over a 2% tax, okay? If you had to sit down and write that check every month, one lump sum, and that's all your cities, your counties, your state, your local, and your federal government got, we would be riding in the streets. They know that. That's why they want their menu of taxes. And they're going to sell this to you. They're going to they're attack on these primal urges. Do not fall for it. Do not fall for it. Do not support a bill that allows local option sales tax without, that does not get rid of income tax. Do not support a constitutional amendment. I'm going to say this again. And you call your legislators, you call your state house reps, you call your state senators, you tell every politically involved person you can, look, there's a group out there, well-funded too, because of course the people who want to take our money are always well-funded. And they want to add a local option sales tax without removing local income tax. We will not support that. Call up your legislator, state house, state senate, and say, do not support a constitutional amendment that allows local option sales tax without getting rid of local income tax. We do not need another way that we're taxed, period. So that's on you to do that. Get on that today. All right, Cameron tried suing over uh, some ads. He, or not suing over ads. I keep saying suing. He didn't sue them. He sent a strongly worded letter to these uh, TV stations saying they need to pull uh, Andy Bashir's ad. We haven't seen the ad yet. Ad hasn't came out yet. It's not. I don't think it's set to come out for about another week. But in this ad, uh, the alleged complaint says that uh, the, the Democrat Governor Association is putting out this ad and they're hitting uh, Cameron once again on the Bevin pardons because Bevin pardoned some people that individuals disagree with, uh, people who had uh, pushing things like, uh, you know, minor uh, crimes with minors, underage people, sexual crimes with underage people, um, you know, those types of, of sexual crimes that are awful and horrible and Bevan pardoned a lot of these uh, people that individuals think shouldn't be pardoned and maybe rightly so too I mean I, I don't know each individual case the few cases I am aware of I don't think Bevan should have pardoned them so anyways my point is is that they're trying to attach Cameron to those pardons and I guess in Cameron's office 
current office works a few individuals who somehow were tied to the pardons. They were not themselves pardoned, but they somehow are associated with individuals who are pardoned. Who knows what that association means? Look, I've worked in politics. You all pay attention to politics. You know that you can draw an association from all kinds of people, all kinds of connections. You can make that connection if you wanted to. I could connect anybody I wanted to to anybody I wanted to if I felt like trying hard enough when it comes to the political realm. But putting that to the side, putting that to the side, Shoot, I could I could connect Amy Bashir and Cameron. They're running against each other. I could connect them in such a way in an ad you would think they were best buddies. I could. They've got some similar histories as far as where they've worked and stuff. But anyways, putting that to the side. Um, in his office works, I guess, some of these individuals who are involved with those pardons. And so this ad... Uh, is trying to paint the light that Cameron is somehow tied to these pardons because these individuals work in the office that are somehow associated with individuals who were pardoned. And so that's a, a, a two or three degrees of separation, but they're, they're bridging that gap. But the way the ad looks, and this is according to the Cameron complaint, the way the ad looks, it looks like, it looks like the connection that they're making is such that it makes it seem like the individuals Cameron has hired themselves are pedophiles and rapists and other things like that, not just associated with individuals who were pardoned for those types of crimes. And that was the complaint. Personally, I don't think Cameron should have issued the complaint. Um, because the complaint itself doesn't seem, it doesn't seem strongly worded. I guess the hope is they take down the ad, but I feel like you're drawing more attention to that ad. Uh, I guess you're trying to push back and say that it's not true. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe it did accomplish that. I don't know. But be on the lookout for those ads. Uh, just remember about Cameron issuing the complaint over that um, and, and look into it. So let's go into how I upset the left. So uh, the other day here, I tweeted out a uh, fantastic little tweet. You know how I am um, when it comes to my Twitter. Now, for those of you who don't follow me, um, you can follow me at... KY Cooper Rider on Twitter. Um, that's at KY Cooper Rider, C O O P E R R I D E R on Twitter. And you can see all the fun Twitter things that go on on my Twitter. Um, you know, all kinds of, of fun little tweets. But w- what I tweeted out here so this chaplain at uh, St. Uh, Elizabeth Hospital, that's there in Northern Kentucky. He tweeted out this thing saying, Friends, I received, uh, he didn't tweet out, he sent out. Uh, a post. He made a post on Facebook that said, friends, I received the notice this morning that I will be terminated from my position as hospital chaplain in 30 days. If I do not complete the mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion training module by 630, no exemption will be granted. This year, the module requires first person affirmations and direct opposition to my sincerely held religious convictions as a follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot complete it. I have requested a meeting with my administrators, my prayer that though my prayer that our glorious risen Lord will be glorified in this situation. Now, this is a a chaplain working at St. East in the hospital system, uh, obviously doing very important work. And he's being asked to make first person affirmations uh, and direct statements. So what does that mean exactly? So understand what first person affirmations mean. So if I'm saying that I'm making affirmations, it involves normally me looking into the mirror or what have you saying, I am great. I am amazing. I am 
uh, a, a incredibly awesome person. I will achieve. You know, like in my son, he golfs. If my if my son's trying to become a better golfer and he's using first person affirmations, he'd look at himself in the mirror and say, "I am the greatest golfer. I am a great golfer. I will go out there and play well." And and the idea being, if you make those affirmations, uh, you end up doing better. It's kind of this idea behind it and i'm not saying i agree or disagree with it but for those of you who don't know what first person affirmations are that's what it is so i have to guess that this module requiring first person affirmations is requiring statements like i support lgbtq people or i am racist or i am whatever these these first person affirmations that says that you you recognize and and are supportive of things you disagree with because clearly um, if it's DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, that clearly is is pushing on these types of ideas. I mean, we we all know that the diversity, equity, and inclusion involve the LGBTQ gender agenda with the critical race theory agenda. It's these ideas that everybody's racist, everybody's awful, everybody's a bigot, and they want you to respond with this. And so I tweeted out that statement there with the caption. Uh, this is happening at St. Elizabeth Hospital right here in Kentucky. Due to Kentucky's arcane certificate of need laws, the state enforces healthcare monopolies in Kentucky and does not allow competition. Lack of competition due to corruption lead to situations where a Catholic hospital can mandate people violate their religious beliefs and face no repercussions from the free market. So, so what do I mean there? For those of you who are unaware, certificate of need is this law set in Kentucky that control our healthcare systems. There's been some uh, talk about this in Northern Kentucky, especially because you have the St. Elizabeth hospital system in Northern Kentucky and not a single other one. And the reason why is because of the certificate of need. So before you as a hospital can build a wing, build a location, add beds, even buy equipment, you have to go to the state and get a certificate of need filled out. And then that certificate of need says you can do those things. You can add those beds. You can buy that equipment. Well, certificate of need means that the area, quote unquote, needs it. These laws were put in place decades ago, and originally they were being used to encourage hospitals to go out into rural communities, underserved communities. Now, most states that have put these in place uh, back in the 70s and 80s have since removed those laws because they realize that they suck, uh, but not here in Kentucky. We still have them. And so that means that if you want to open up a hospital in northern Kentucky, the state then turns to your would-be competitors, which in northern Kentucky, a huge populated area, is only one hospital, St. Elizabeth. And they turn to them and say, does the area, can you fulfill the needs of this area or do we need another hospital? And that hospital can say, no, no, we got it. We got it handled. And then the state can turn around and say, nope, no certificate of need needed. This isn't needed. You don't get your sign off. That is a state enforced monopoly system. And it also means for somebody like a chaplain, chaplains are working, that's intensive care units. That is, that is the ER. That's a large hospital operation. That isn't just some outpatient. That isn't some just independent doctor. That is literally uh, uh, people who are deathbeds, people uh, uh, dealing with crises of faith. I mean, he's a chaplain after all, right? And so they're having this, this religious leader come in, make statements uh, uh, and, and make statements in a module saying that he is things that he doesn't believe in and he has nowhere to go or she, sorry, he or she, they have nowhere to go because there's not another hospital within an hour of them that is in Kentucky, right? You could cross the river 
and go over into Ohio, but then you got to literally, you, then, you know, that's driving jobs, of course, out. But also it's caused extremely high health care costs in Kentucky, higher than they need to be, because we have these certificate of need laws. It affects a lot of things. I'm not going to go into it. I've talked about certificate of need a number of times on this podcast. I think if you scroll back, you will find a podcast on certificate of need specifically, where I dive in deep into all the ways it affects everything. But how'd this upset the left? Well, a few people commented saying well they can just go get a job anywhere else and it's like do they understand like like this individual here tweets out saying this employee lives in a free country they can quit immediately and get a new job they're not tied to the hospital this is the kind of freedom we can all celebrate well when it comes to the medical field especially now in this case a chaplain you could make an argument he'd go be a chaplain and many other things and 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 you know, what's back and forth arguments there. But in the medical field, especially nurses and doctors, they spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars going to college. They spend years and years and years of their lives building that up. And then when they come out, they are working now in a system here in Kentucky where if you disagree with something your employer doing, St. Elizabeth in this case, well, you'd say normally just go find a new employer, but you can't. That's the point. That's the thing this person is missing. Now, of course, this far left individual saying, well, they can just quit. Well, let me ask you, if I hired employees, should I be able to pay them? I do hire employees. Should I be able to pay them less than minimum wage? If me and them agree, if we agree that I'm not going to pay them overtime, but they want to work more, but I'm not paying them overtime, and we hit that agreement, W-2 employee, should I be allowed to do that then? If they don't like it, They can just find another employer. Do you think that leftist would agree with that statement? Of course not. They're not even consistent. See, the left didn't have a double standard. They'd have no standard at all. And we know this individual would obviously not be arguing that I could uh, uh, come up with whatever compensation package I feel like, legal or not, by current laws, and if they don't like it, they can just leave. That would not be something they'd agree with. But in this case, they literally... In this case especially, we have a government-enforced monopoly, certificate of need laws. They are tied to that employer unless they want to move their entire family like an hour away. That's a big decision to make. That's a lot of choices to make. You got kids going to school. You're in the medical field. You got years, if you know, you've got years and years of training. And an investment of your time and money into your field. So it's not like you can just leave the field necessarily either. See, in a free market of employers, employees, this kind of behavior wouldn't be allowed. And that's my point. The reason why should I be allowed if I can make a deal with an employee to not pay them overtime or less than minimum wage or all these things, should I be allowed to do it? Yeah, I should. But in a current free market, I can't get away with it. Do I pay my employees minimum wage now? No. I pay them way above minimum wage. I pay my employees above average for the market that they're in. Why? Because that's what's required of me to keep employees in this current market. I don't need a law to tell me to do that. The fact I want to stay in business tells me I have to do that. That doesn't require regulation, but yet that's something that these leftists can't get through their skulls. 
They love to claim the ideas of a free market and a market that literally in the post they're commenting on is pointing out the fact that this isn't a free market. It's not a free market. If the government's going to come in here, lock out your competitors, your employer, your employees are stuck with you. This isn't a free market when your employees have nowhere to go and your customers have no one else to go see because you're using the corrupt and tyrannical state government con laws, certificate of need laws, to hold yourself in place, that is unacceptable. Not only should this hospital be held accountable for doing such things and violating this person's individual beliefs, but this should be point one on why we need to be getting rid of certificate of need laws here in Kentucky because it allows this kind of egregious behavior out of medical employers and businesses. It allows them to do whatever they want. We saw this during COVID with vaccine mandates. We see this now with these types of DEI modules. They will continue to be able to push whatever agenda they want to and then run under the banner of I'm a private business, yet they're using government to make sure they don't have competitors. You're not a private business if you're using government to make sure you don't have competitors. You're not. Don't ask the government for anything. Do whatever you want. That's my opinion. Well, guys, that's what we have time for today. Thank you all so much for joining us. As always, this is the Andrew Cooperator Show. Please like, comment, subscribe, share, get it out there. Thank you all so much, and have a wonderful rest of your day.